Well, hello everybody. It's Louise Eddington, the Cosmic Owl of Cosmic Owl Astrology. And I am absolutely thrilled today to have with me for my Tea with Louise series. I've got my drink, but um, uh, my one of my favorite um, astrologers, Melanie Reinhardt, um, who I think of as kind of the centaur queen. <laughs> now, Melanie Reinhardt was, <laughs> was born in Zimbabwe and the same year as me, but I'm not going to tell you when that was. <laughs> she um, has been a professional astrologer since 1975. So she came, uh, came out as an astrologer long before I did, because I didn't um, actually um, start till 2012 professionally. So I'd had it as a hobby for like 25 years before that. Um, Melanie is a um, a prize-winning diploma holder of the Faculty of Astrological Studies, um, for whom she's also a pa patron. And she was awarded the prestigious Charles Harvey Award given by the Astrological Association of Great Britain in recognition of exceptional service to astrology. And Melanie's written several books, I'm not gonna go through them um, all, um, Chiron and or Chiron, as we're we're discussing, it might actually we might be pronouncing it wrong. And the healing journey is probably the best known one, I think. Um, um, but there's a couple of a few others, and some of them I think are written transcripts of talks that you've given. Am I correct? Right. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, so check her out on Amazon, check out the books, go and buy them. But Melanie is also a contributor to a new book that's um, being released sometime. <laughs> um, I think that's estimated to be in the fall um, or the autumn um, by Price Steppy Press, which I'll put the link below, um, um, where um, several um, astrologers and other writers are contributing um about these wonderful creatures the centaurs so today as i meet melanie um formally for the first time mercury is actually um at almost six leo and is opposing chariclo who we are going to talk about today <laughs> so, so mercury is the messenger so mercury is beaming us from london to salt lake city where i am and having us talk about Chariclay. So welcome, Melanie. And I'd love to hear your story about how Chariclay came to you. And then I'm going to tell you about where I was that day. <laughs> yeah, I look forward to hearing that. Just one mm -hmm. thing, that Mercury position, of course, that is the discovery degree of Chariclay. Yeah. Yes, because okay. she's having her Chariclay opposition. I meant to mention that. Oh, so, okay. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so where was I? Well, I, um, in February of 1997, um, on the 15th to be exact, I was actually in Cape Town, South Africa, and that's where I went to university, but um, I was visiting there again, visiting friends and having a break and also um, teaching a weekend on Chiron and it was a lovely weekend there were there were totally lovely people and everybody was really engaged with the theme 
And I remember when I went back to my place where I was staying that evening, um, I felt very peaceful and and kind of happy. And I was also just preparing notes and things for the following day. And then I was just sitting there on my own. And, you know, the sun began to set. And it's really hard to put this into words because this wasn't like a vision <laughs> um, or a bunch of thoughts. It was a felt experience. And so all I can say was it was as if this feeling state came over me, sort of sort of creeping slowly, not a sudden bang, you know, because it wasn't like that in quality. It was a soft, slow, gentle, opening kind of a feeling where if I would translate it into thoughts, it felt like the entire universe was perfect in that moment. And, of course, we all know on many levels <laughs> that perfection is rare and often illusory anyway. But at this level where this feeling seemed to be coming from, there was this very complete sense of peace, mm. a sense of peace and of balance. And it was a very kind of intimate feeling in the sense of it felt very intimate with myself, my deeper, deepest self kind of thing. Mm. Uh, and I just sat there for absolutely ages uh, just feeling absolutely transported but not like transported somewhere else <laughs> like right. swept away or anything <laughs> it was like transported into another level another dimension of the here and now so on one hand it felt very simple very kind of obvious and breathtakingly precious mm -hmm. and I sort of hung out in that state just doing totally nothing except sitting in the chair <laughs> um and it see that that seemed to go on for hours and hours and hours but in in normal clock time it couldn't have been more than an hour max I would say because I did go to bed early to prepare for teaching all day the following day but that feeling stayed with me it totally did and I just had the feeling something is happening okay mm. I had no idea what except what was what I was experiencing and it, the feeling stayed with me and then I thought that the notion of something is happening was just subjective and it was just me you know having this particular experience so that was um it was the following week i believe that I, I went back to the uk and lo and behold i discovered that there was a new centaur discovered on that very evening mm -hmm. and you know with the zone differences and all that it was actually coinciding mm -hmm. with the moment that sherry was found uh, and so that absolutely blew my mind. 
And I, I felt as if I had a very strong felt imprint of what this being was about. And, you know, began researching and so on and so forth. But I, I, Louise, I want to hear your story. <laughs> yeah, well, I heard you tell this story on, on some another interview. I can't remember. I think it was the astrology podcast. Anyway, it doesn't matter really where it was. It could have been. Um, yeah, I think it was. And um, and I I suddenly had this big, big light bulb moment because, you know, I had looked at the Shericlo uh, discovery chart and this beautiful pattern it makes. And yeah. I hadn't really, I'd, I'd never thought to think, where was I when this, <laughs> this happened? Well, mine was a lot more dramatic than yours and a lot, a lot less peaceful. Um, and I can't say it was exactly on that day, but um, probably, probably really only the day before or um, over that period. Um, my dad was ill and I went to the hospital with him for the diagnosis. And um, he was diagnosed with um, glioblastoma and we were told he wouldn't live the year out. I went home to my boyfriend who I owned a house with at that point and I said um, you know my dad's dying obviously very distraught at the time 1997 can we get married and um, can we because uh, I was the only daughter and shall we just come off the pill and um, and have children like we'd always talked about and within five weeks <laughs> we were married pregnant and um <laughs> and then oh later later that year my dad died on October the 1st and he was a Scorpio and my daughter was born on November the 2nd and she's a Scorpio and I when she when when my daughter was born and she was held up I I was kind of in a bit of a state because it was <laughs> um I was like it's my dad <laughs> and and now you've talked about Chariclo being kind of a midwife of both death and life and things yeah, and absolutely. I was like oh my goodness <laughs> yeah yeah everything changed on that moment and you know it could have been that Friday the 14th I, I don't we weren't at the oncologist on the Saturday so it wouldn't have been on the 15th in Derby but I think we got the diagnosis as she was being discovered so oh that oh what an amazing story. And so <laughs> your daughter must totally have that signature. Yeah. In, in her very being, in her life. Yeah. Yeah. From her inception, not, not from yeah. her actual uh, birth date. Yeah. 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 <laughs> because I got pregnant right away. I can't, you know, wow. I, I was, I was like, you know, you come off the pill. You usually have to wait a while before you. Yes, yes. <laughs> oh, oh no. <laughs> wow yeah I know isn't it um amazing and, oh, that, that is and, and my whole life literally kind of changed on that dime if you like yeah um, yeah mm, suddenly I was no dad married and a mother so. wow <laughs> wow so yeah. many so many transitions all wrapped into one Mm-hmm. yeah now I, I was um approaching my Pluto square as well so that had something to do with it but as we 
um, discussed her discovery degree with six Leo and my Pluto is at six Virgo. So there's the six there already. <laughs> and almost nice. every, and I have so much in my chart at six and seven degrees that are all aspected by her discovery as well. So, wow. Yeah. Oh, that, that, yeah. that is amazing. It is. Well, certainly, you know, really having, so the, as I'm sure you, you've already seen this, that the, the mythology in, in terms of the classical Greek sources, mythology around Shariklo is really quite minimal. Oh, yeah. And there's even some contradictory bits and pieces here and there. Mind you, that's common, you know, in yeah. mythology. There's often more than one version of something. <coughs> Excuse me. But the fact that there is so little is almost part part of the part of the pictogram, let's say, mm-hmm. of Shariklo, because there seems to me to be this real emphasis on this vibratory level, this felt sense level. Mm-hmm. So at the level of being able to describe her in words or tell her story that part is really minimal but what i've noticed is that when when people get it with with shariklo they totally get it because it's a felt experience and even though one is left kind of babbling like an idiot trying to say (laughs) something about it the actual felt sense is unmistakable it is have you found that too Oh, since since her she came into my awareness and all this has been coming to me, I feel changed. You know, mm. really, she, she uh, my Shariklo is at three Aquarius, so almost at the opposite point. And so I've had three passes of my Shariklo return, and and I just and I feel that what's happening to me personally is happening collectively I don't know you know to all of us I feel I feel she is a real harbinger of change you know Grace Spinner spinning a new story holding space for a new paradigm all that yes kind of, yes yeah. I, I do also feel that and I also am very intrigued by the, the nature of the particular image of the feminine that mm. she represents now, this really does interest me because there is a certain invisibility about her. There, in oh, there is. What, what remains in the literature, the ancient literature, about, about her, you know? My, my, first, my first thought about her when I started thinking about mythology, I thought, well, okay, so she was the wife of Chiron. We know that. Mm-hmm. And we also know that Chiron was wounded accidentally by an arrow from Hercules. Mm-hmm. And according to, I think it's Apollodorus or Hesiod, or one of the well-known classical versions of the story, Chiron lived for 900 and something years, so give or take a millennium, uh, in absolutely mortal agony, not mm-hmm. able to heal his own wound even though he was a renowned healer and mentor Mm -hmm. and wise man and so forth. 
So thinking about that, what came to mind was this poignant picture, you know, of this, this kind of wound, wounded centaur who was in, uh, in, in the thigh or in the calf or the ankle, depending on which version you read, but it's the lower half, you know, the lower mm-hmm. half that we stand on, like what we stand on the ground. And that's wounded, you know. Mm-hmm. Thinking of this, and, and he, we know that that he lived in 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 a cave. Yeah. And uh, oh, when when I went to Greece mm. to go to Mount Pelion, which was the mythical home of the centaurs, went there with Brian Clark and Demetra George, and we took a busload of forty astrologers all over Greece focusing on the sites which were um, uh, connected with healing or divination. So obviously Mount Pelion was a huge, Mm -hmm. huge thing. And um, I mention it just because um, in the town, uh, you know, every second cafe or bar or restaurant and so on, it was called Kentavros, which is centaur. And many places were claiming to be the one true real cave of Chiron. So there were there were loads of caves and caves (laughs) of Chiron everywhere, and they were all the real one sort of thing. But that just came to mind. Mm. But anyway, so I thought of this poor wounded wounded animal human creature uh, living in his cave, and I thought, well, who who was looking after him? It has to have been the wife, surely. Yeah. So that, and, you know, in in the early days when I was actively re- focusing on Chariclo, as also happened way, way back with Chiron, it, it was like, you know, the, 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 the vibratory being, we could say, that's represented by the name Chariclo in the little stories, seemed to be so present and so waiting mm. to be revealed by anybody who was who who would care to listen or hear or see, you know. Yeah. So that I would then typically see a, a whole a whole string of of clients um whose stories exactly personified the the very thing I was thinking mm-hmm. about. Now I know one one could say all kinds of things about what I've just said, but that is actually what happened. Yeah. And so you know, if we just move that tiny detail, tiny detail from the story into a real life situation, we can see that the world is full of shari clothes. The women's, mm-hmm. and it's not always women, by the way, because no, no, no. Shariklo can the Shariklo energy can also be portrayed by by a man. Mm-hmm. So we're talking more of the kind of cosmic principle of the energy here, rather than mm-hmm. rather than limiting it to gender. Okay. Yeah. But there is um, this particular quality, it seems, to be gifted at making a sacred space mm-hmm. now this can be 
through a formal method, like a person who has a feel for ritual or even just decorating a room to be fit for purpose, like a party, you know, that could yeah. be too. But the person who has a feel for how to hold the space invisibly mm -hmm. and what occurred to me and I, I've said this before in videos that you know that is an innate gift in some people mm -hmm. so as a very simple example that's the person the person at a party who's actually holding the space when they leave it's not long before everybody else goes because like yeah, oh, yeah. we say the life and soul of the party. Okay, well, life and soul. So it's being able to bring the life and soul or invite the life and soul. Mm -hmm. not, not necessarily to a party in the, in the cliche way that that is meant. Yeah. But the life and soul of a situation is invisible. And it very often registers registers most strongly and most truly on the level of feeling. Mm. So you can't like analyze it or it doesn't even have a shape or a smell and so on. It might do on an individual experience level, but it registers primarily at the level of feeling. Can uh, I tell you how, oh, can I tell you how she's kind of please. come to me um, as well? Um, and it, it resonates so much with what you're saying. But I, I, I get very visual kind of images in my head of, of all these, all of them. <laughs> and right. Sharicklo, you know, I, yes, her name literally means spinning grace. But, um, but uh, Chiron was a mentor to the gods, right, wasn't he? And, and, um, I, I, and she was supposedly a companion to Pallas Athena. Um, there's a couple of references to Yes, Pallas Athena and a couple of others. But anyway, I see her as holding the space as well by just being a storyteller and, and almost like a bard as well. Like it's very much the Leo energy to my mind mm -hmm. um, as kind of people just kind of drawn to her. And she's kind of weaving the new stories by telling the stories and gathering everybody else's stories as well that's it's kind of very a bit unformed but I can see it in my head you know she has like these, she has like Pallas Athena and all these um yeah you know, what that's really, yeah that's really interesting so mm. I associate the the archetype of the storyteller and the bard very specifically with Pholus ah because Pholus was the son of Silenus mm. Um, who was the storyteller of the gods. Mm -hmm. And in Apollodorus, there's a delightful description of that, which also includes a kind of very delicate reference to the fact that mm -hmm. he was not above telling stories in the sense of lying, yeah. but here embroidering the truth for the sake of a good story. And um, it was in the year of the first recent, of the recent squares of Chiron and Pholus, Mm. that the phrase fake news became word oh. of the year in the Collins Dictionary. <laughs> oh, my God, you know, it's true. It's, and, of course, now it's everywhere. Everybody's embroidering the truth, and uh, oh, it's like a hall of mirrors. Oh. And you know, I think probably 
certainly this is true for myself and maybe for some some of you dear people watching mm-hmm. that it is sometimes difficult to know what is what is true oh it is and there can be layer and- on layer on layer on layer of mystification disinformation you name it mm-hmm. it's all just a mess perhaps bard uh, perhaps, perhaps and- but perhaps bard is not so much the right word for her that i'm seeing i see her kind of more as weaving different threads of stories together because you know all these yes, figures yes yes yeah. the, the graceful yeah, spin- yeah. Mm-hmm. so you know like gathering Pallas Athena's story and all these faces of the goddess that are and kind of weaving them into this um tapestry yes yeah Yeah. and there was you know with that translation of her name that you mentioned the graceful Mm -hmm. spinner I also thought uh, um and uh, so we we both have moon in Gemini here. So I'm going to do a little moon in Gemini. And, and what when I read that, I also read it backwards, and I thought, oh, it's she who spins grace. Mm-hmm. So as well as being a spinner, yeah. she's also spinning grace. Yeah, and that's a very particular um, quality. And. Um, I think often to be able to do that, well, it's it has to be a natural thing. It can't be, you, you can't like uh, turn on the capacity for spinning grace. No, no, you can't. <laughs> no, it's, it would be completely false. But there's something very true about this capacity to spin grace. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's even invisible that, you know, one just knows in the presence of that person. That energy moves and things mm-hmm. change and things are subtly facilitated with and sometimes without any deliberate intention mm-hmm. on the part of the Sharikla person, it just occurs. Yes. So at that level, it's the deepest possible kind of magic. I have another because... story for you about that, actually. Oh, please, yes. <laughs> in, in, in relation to Sharikla kind of being this um, death doula or space holder for somebody that's that's in pain and dying yeah um my neighbor um it was about five years ago was dying and I had done shamanic training to kind of do death um psychopomp work and things I've never used it um you know I do shamanic journey work but I'd never used it something in me instinctive like you say um made me made me just sit with her one day and I was saying i I've been trained to do this work you know it's not going to heal you but it might really help you and um and it just might make you feel better and um would you be willing to try and uh she was and we did journey work together and I did um the death doula work of, of taking her to the other side and bringing her back again and preparing her for death and I've never done it before I've never done it since (laughs) <laughs> yeah but I and just I I had that connection with her and I just felt, felt I had to do it yeah so the phrase that comes is you, it was called forth in yes. a completely natural way from yeah. you yeah it was and I it wasn't almost wasn't me it was coming through yeah. me you know I didn't really plan it um 
you know and her mom afterwards was like would you do this some of this work with me and I said it was just for her it was just like you know <laughs> and her family were going what what did you do you know she was an atheist and now she's uh, happy to be dying and and her dad's waiting for her on the other side and I'm like I was just following my instincts yeah that's so yeah. beautiful yeah 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 and you know I thought about going and doing death to all the work but I, I it just it'll come if it's yeah yeah exactly exactly yeah. yeah because you know the those kind of experiences of of accompanying people either in a birth situation or in a death situation and not only physical birth and physical death it can be psychological spiritual mm -hmm. emotional mm -hmm. death and rebirth yeah so how how those kind of experiences which are also completely normal yeah and in one way or another probably every person who lives has a taste of that in their life and of yeah. course depending on their horoscope for some people that's an absolutely major thing <laughs> yeah <laughs> and for, and for some it may it may be just a murmur but everybody has it for sure mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so that needs accompanying yeah and it is possible to accompany oneself but it does take a bit of practice it does and a, and a bit of awareness but being being called in an organic and natural way by life mm-hmm to accompany folks in different kinds of transitions. Mm -hmm. It's a very particular skill. Because and I, one do, doesn't, I do one, that through my astrology consultations as exactly. well. I, think. I was going to yeah. say so many, many different ways in which this can yeah. be. But I, I would sort of go back to the vibe, <laughs> mm -hmm. the, the vibe, the felt sense of this particular capacity, this quality that in one way or another, we've all got that. It's just that mm -hmm. some people have it really um, up front and, sense, and center stage kind of thing. And yeah. for some people, it may be more, more of a background thing. But of course, which can be called into prominence by a life situation, which mm -hmm. will correspond with a transit. Yeah. And then there are people who do make a... a, a or who do have a vocation to specifically be of service in that very specific way. Mm -hmm. And so one of the most obvious ones that I thought of and that sent me scurrying to my client files was people who do, people who are craniosacral osteopaths mm. or craniosacral therapists or just osteopaths, any, any of the repertoire of body work Mm -hmm. and th there may be many others but th those I am familiar with but any any one of the repertoire of body work where there's a very strong feature of holding yeah. like the very first time I went to a, a craniosacral osteopath decades ago um, I couldn't believe it you know so all she did was like put, put a couple of hands underneath my skull I know it's so it's almost like they're not doing anything exactly <laughs> yeah and so of course it is possible to educate one's sensitivity to absolutely feel 
what's going on, but the very first time. <laughs> wow, you know, and uh, I just paid how much for this and nothing, they didn't do anything and nothing happened, which of course is so far yeah. from the truth. Yeah. And it's a tremendous, the art of getting out of the way so that the healing process or the process of transition can go along unimpeded. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. part of what Sherry Clow offers, I think. Um, I, I agree. And I think she's doing it collectively. Um, I agree with that. Totally. Now, now, I asked you for the dates where Saturn crossed the um, orbit of, sorry, where Chiron crossed the orbit of Saturn. To move yes. within, to move within Saturn, and that was in 1992 at, at six Leo, which was the discovery degree of Jericho. Wow. And then he, and then he didn't move out again till I can't remember the date now. I've got it saved here. That was 1999 after she had been discovered. Yes. Um, and Saturn, of course, was the limits of our known universe before, um, you know, till it was the visible planets. I I feel like he was bringing his wife in to oh, us. Oh, I love that. Oh, <laughs> thank you for that. That's yeah. so beautiful. I think he was saying she she's needed, you know. And yeah. and and uh, I've got to tell you something else as well. I I've done a set presentation on series um quite a lot C E R E S for those listening who uh, the great mother goddess or was an asteroid now a dwarf planet and you know at the date of her discovery Richard Tarnas spoke at the cycles and symbols conference in San Francisco and said patriarchy is best understood as the 5,000 year birth canal of the great mother goddess oh and, and he said that quote on her discovery date <laughs> wow after after chiron and brought her into our known kind of universe to um Uh, to help us to heal (laughs) yeah 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 you know i also found myself wondering at a certain point whether um chiron's long life of suffering which he was not able to heal by himself Mm -hmm which then, of course, transcended into a whole other level when he became immortalized Mm. in the constellation of Centaurus. But uh, one day I found myself wondering whether that all took so long, because even though, of course, at one level, Chiron lives in a timeless realm anyway, (laughs) the realm Mm. of the archetypes, (laughs) where time isn't like it is, you know, on our wristwatch kind of thing. But nevertheless, it was specified in, I think, Apollodorus, 900 and something years he lived. Mm-hmm. So I thought, wow, that's a really long time to be unable to live properly and uh, unable to die properly. So in between, he's the god of the in-between. Mm-hmm. Uh, many gods have the, the notion of ruling over the thresholds. He's not the only one, but it is very specific with Chiron because it is about our wounds yeah. and our healing. And I found myself wondering, I thought, wow, I wonder if it took him that long. Because all the time, all the time that was going on, he was 
absorbing the wisdom of his wife. Yeah. Learning from her to complete his own connection with his own soul. And then he was free to go. Yeah. So to me, that kind of resonates a bit with your lovely information there about the orbits, you know. Yeah. And she was kind of the death doula for him. She was helping him to reach that point. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. I get chills from all of this. Yeah. Me too. Like goosebumps. And you know, when Pluto went into Sagittarius, so I forget the precise details on this, but it's something like the centaur called Nessus. It was within a couple of days, if that, but almost on the same date, uh, Nessus entered Sagittarius. Mm. So he was sometimes known as the black centaur. So when I stumbled across this, when I was looking for you know stuff about the planets, I sort of just thought to myself, wow, what a, pic- what a picture came to my mind. So there's Pluto, Lord of the Underworld, who also was said to wear a helmet of invisibility. In other words, he would wear, the- when he came uh, above the ground, he wore this helmet, which rendered him invisible. So that, you know, poetically, that can be said to represent the invisibility of the fact of and the realm of and the experience of death, which totally 100% accompanies life. Yeah. So we live on a planet that spins around and we have day and night Mm -hmm. that alternate quite quickly, you know. So the dark and the light are always there's a dance and interplay, and, and so when when the Lord when the Lord of the underworld exited from the from the underworld, Scorpio, mm-hmm. and went into Sagittarius, he was accompanied by Nessus, the black centaur, and I just had this regal image, you know, of Nessus, this magnificent oh. black centaur with maybe the Lord of the Underworld actually riding on his back or something. Oh, and of, and of course, zero, zero Sagittarius is the degree where Chiron went back out of the orbit of um, Saturn. Yes, ex- ex- exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, really, it's, just, it's, like, it's like poetry in the sky, this stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I always think it is. It's all it's all poetry. Yeah, all all of, not only the centaurs, obviously. Yeah, working together, but you know, I think they've come in for a very specific reason to bring us into this new paradigm. And you know, a- absolutely. Now, um, most annoyingly, I lost the source on this, but I promise you, I didn't make this up. One of the famous astronomers who's been quite involved with the centaurs, maybe discovering or writing about them and so on, he said that the discovery of the Kuiper belt in in which they were said to have originated and so are kind of ex-occupants or exiles from the Kuiper belt. So this astronomer fellow said, this is the most important frontier of discovery since the time of Copernicus. So, 
you probably recall that Copernicus was the fellow um, who discovered that it was us and the planets that went around the sun rather than the earth being the center of the known universe. Mm -hmm. And that was considered seriously and dangerously heretical at the time. Imagine that. And so he was, in a way, quite smart. He just basically sat on all of his discoveries, <laughs> but did teach people about it. So it was actually the Copernican revolution was really set rolling by Galileo, who mm-hmm. went under house arrest for so doing. Huge court case to do with heresy and huge things. Um and it's you know that that is it's such a poignant image all that that story mm-hmm. because in a way it we could say it was ever thus so today as we speak there are really important new discoveries of various kinds in various disciplines oh there are and there are the people well. are being vilified and not understood and not believed and in some cases harm comes to them because of that well yeah it's it's true but but even as astrologers um you know astrologers like us who who are fascinated by all these new discoveries they were always there of course or have been for a long time (laughs) have been for a long time and you know i've been um i've been not attacked but uh, i've been you know low-key attacked by by people for saying you don't need all those you know we you only need you know these known bodies you know they might accept out to pluto and things but i think they have important messages for us and uh, oh absolutely yeah and i would agree this discovery of the kuiper belt is just bringing um just so much new information to us there's a book i've got written by an english astrologer called alison something or other and i can't remember her name she actually used to run a pub that I used to go to near Derby. But anyway, <laughs> and she calls it Starry Messengers. I, I, oh, yeah, Alison Chester Lambert. Yes, I could not yeah. remember her last name. Yeah. And, yeah, and I, I, you know, I know her. She invited me to speak to her students one time. Oh, uh, yeah. Lives a bit, uh, it's a, a fair distance, but not desperately long way. Just mm-hmm. north of me um, in England. Yeah. Yeah, and that's where I'm from, from her area. So uh, okay, yeah, and 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 I used to go to the pub she used to run. <laughs> Funnily enough, small world, but you yeah. know, I I but I think you're right. I think it is as important as the Coper- Copernican revolution, and I think it's unfolding as mm-hmm. as we discover more. You you've looked at the discovery chart for Chariclo, um mm she's at six leo well at six aquarius which is where she is today as we speak having her opposition (laughs) i know series series was um at six um aquarius in that discovery chart oh how wonderful oh i should include her too yeah and 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 i've done this work on series and i hadn't connected the two of them but there they are there oh. they are opposite each other in oh, that discovery wow. chart and and Ceres is now called a dwarf planet not an asteroid 
I have this theory that she's actually kind of a missing personal planet because she's just this side of the asteroid belt and that Charitlo oh. was Charitlo introduced her to us. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. It's so beautiful. Yeah, it's like a it's it's like like a kind of centaur party. And mm-hmm. sometimes asteroids are invited in as well, or you know, something like that. We could make up a yeah. whole scenario. And some of these dwarf like, planets, you know, and, and after, oh, after, oh, totally. And Charit and Chericlo has rings, right? So you yes, know, is yes. She, is she a centaur or is she a planet like Saturn? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then yeah. the, the year after that was discovered, which, if I recall, was twenty fourteen. The following year, now there's a speculation that Chiron also have has rings. Yeah. And so when when I teach on that, I typically I typically uh, call them wedding rings mm-hmm. <laughs> because they've both got rings. So far, they're the only centaurs with rings. But hey, there's you know almost five hundred centaurs discovered yeah. today, even though very uh, few of them have still been named. And now we've got the James Webb telescope. It's going to. Um... Yes, yes. Much yes. Clo- closer pictures. Exactly. <laughs> Supposedly, yeah. a- according to what I've read online, if I understood it properly, that one of the features of this James Webb telescope is that it is going to be able to see into the Kuiper belt and therefore also the centaurs yeah. uh, in a much more precise way than was possible before. Mm-hmm. Because... Um, it's it's an it's not infrared it's um what's the other one um i can't remember the purple one <laughs> yes the purple one violet ultra ultraviolet ultraviolet yes <laughs> it apparently it see it sees in ultraviolet or something mm. and the hubble sees in uh, in ultra red or whatever it was <laughs> it gets a different perspective mm. that the other one doesn't get which is really wonderful and and in some of the write-ups i read before this james webb telescope was was blasted out there they do specifically mention chariclo that that's one of one of the um aims of the journey is to find out more about her oh oh exciting yeah. i hadn't read that oh I'm so excited about that because I think she's so important and you know just just to looking at what's going on in our world today um today she's um now on the south node of the USA and um on her the 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 USA's nodes in the Sibley chart most of the charts that use they're at six Leo and Aquarius wow and wow oh yeah (laughs) and clearly kind of the 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 big changes that we're experiencing in the world are kind of centered in the USA because it's been a the world power. So, yeah. Yes. <laughs> you know, being, being a world power and having your <laughs> first Pluto return, you're guaranteed to be oh. like prominent, you know? Oh, very much so. And, um, and the Venus star point return as well. All the cycles are converging, but, yes, but Charlie, but Charlie Chariclo is a huge part of it because she's on her opposition right now. 
So the discovery point and where she is right now are on the nodes of the USA. So they're Oh, that's that's very, very lovely. Isn't it? Because in a way, when you know, when when things are either very stressful or very tense, or where there's a lot of conflict, just endemic mm -hmm. um, in a situation, it's this this Shariklo quality that we've been trying to allude to, both of us, or yeah, describe yeah. or point to. Uh, you know, that's what can hold can hold it all. Actually. Yeah, yeah. I also sometimes think of her as the as the perfect polarity to a bunch of like wild unruly centaurs who who are in they're not in the same lineage as Chiron yeah uh, because they have a slightly different origin but nevertheless they're still centaurs mm -hmm. um and so there's there's a way in which just a generic centaur does could be seen to be representing the bestial side of human nature. Mm -hmm. And of course, it is specifically a male figure. So the bestial side of the male, the instinctual side, which of course is naturally associated with the warrior archetype. Uh -huh. So I was beyond fascinated to discover that the centaurs Chiron, Pholus, and Nessus, who were the first three to be discovered, they feature in Dante's Inferno, specifically in, in Canto 12. So I'm a huge fan of that work. I, I, have, I have read the whole thing through more than once. I, I've and read it, it was once, once but I've, before I'd heard of the centaurs. So <laughs> I probably no, I, I couldn't yeah. believe it. And, yeah. you know, this was so lovely because I had browsed in Dante's Inferno for on, on and off for years, mostly just looking for quotes, you know, <laughs> I couldn't take on the whole thing. But when I did, um, I actually found this detail. I was led to this detail, believe it or not, by Wikipedia, good old Wikipedia. <laughs> we, could say, we could say many things in criticism of it, but, hey, that was a wonderful connection. Yeah. And if you, if you, I'm not sure under what, but if you search on Wikipedia, you'll also find an image of centaurs parading around as the custodians of this particular lake of boiling blood, Ooh. which is part of the inferno. Inferno means hell. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Story starts in hell and ends up in paradise so it's important to keep going <laughs> <laughs> well we're kind of a bit in hell at the moment aren't we because well, people's exactly worst natures <laughs> i'm kind of thinking of yeah and there's a, a writer called mark vernon wonderful writing deeply deeply feeling and philosophical and so forth and he made a study of dante's inferno which was published last year, which was the 700th anniversary of Dante's death. And uh, it's, he takes one canto at a time and writes a few pages about it. So it's like a kind of daily meditation. Mm. But back to the centaurs, their job in the inferno, so they presided over the seventh ring of hell, which was 
or of Inferno, same word, which was the place where people who had been violent in their lives went. Um, and this is violent to others. Yeah. There's, there's another place for other kinds of violence or violence to animals or suicidal actions and so forth. But this is violence to others. And so people who go to that place of hell because they've been violent to others, they end up having to go into this pool of boiling blood. We have that metaphor in English. We talk about anger, my blood was boiling, or my yeah. blood boiled. Yeah. <clears throat> so they have to stay there for their allotted time. <clears throat> And they are kept in there for their allotted time by the centaurs who will just push them back down if they try to mm. get out before it's their time. Wow. I thought that was so poignant. Just wow. amazing. Yeah. Are you okay? Do you have a drink or do you need some? I do have some water. Yeah. 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 <laughs> happens to be all the time. Now I want to read that again. I want to read that again. And, you know, just looking at thinking of Chiron being in his own personal hell for 900 and whatever years it was as well. He was kind of, uh, and he hadn't hurt others, of course, but, um, but you know, he was kind of experiencing that. And, and as humans, we've got the seven, you, you said there was seven layers or something, seven yes. places. Yes. yes, seven seven rings of hell. Yeah, seven rings of hell. We've got the seven chakras, the seven original planets, and all that kind of stuff. Exactly. It's, it's my belief that we are here to learn how to um, be in deep acceptance of our of our humanness in all its kind of glory. We're never going to be these perfect ascended wonderful beings we, 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 yeah. being human is messy <laughs> yeah yeah and all of these parts are in us you know in our astrology charts we can see them that's all parts of us so you know when are we going to stop thinking we can um, kind of transcend this and actually live in alignment with everything pull all those stories together and live in alignment with the earth and nature and each other so. Yeah, I, I do really agree with you because, yeah, you know, one can have ideas of perfection, mm -hmm. indeed perfect ideas, but that is far from the whole story. And so I agree completely with what you've said. It's like that, you know, the job of being here <laughs> is be here kind of yes. thing. <laughs> And maybe actual paradise or heaven or whatever you want to call it is when we actually kind of realize that and kind of treat yes. each other differently and treat the earth differently. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, you know, heaven and hell are not something which just happens after you die. Yeah. They're around us and within us all the time. Mm -hmm. And um, that sense of, that sense of, purification mm -hmm. I think is really important and that's not mm. purification of imperfection so we're not like improving ourselves no. but 
what what we're doing is kind of purifying the, the parts of us that are that are that are kind of spiritually blind mm-hmm. and and don't see or feel the light which is our heritage and that's a light that includes all the opposites and it takes a while well the mind can't cope with that at all actually because the mind tends to get very binary (laughs) and not realize that there is a whole other level i think i think to to kind of understand it at a intuitive level i think and i will at the end of this when I upload this to YouTube so if you're listening on my podcast go to YouTube and look at it I'll post the 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 Chariclo discovery charts oh it, it is because it is perfect balance of no, it all is. the opposites it's it absolutely <laughs> is you know I do keep looking I I have never seen any other chart that is this perfect six-pointed star yeah i mean you know it's it's rare but it's not desperately uncommon to find a six-pointed star but but usually they're very approximate and you you kind of want them to be a six-pointed star so you overlook the fact that it's really (laughs) approximate yeah you know but i've never seen another chart like that i haven't either i've never seen one and um and you know it's it's bringing in some of the really heavy hitters of change and um and it's in air it's in air and fire so it's it's kind of healing the divine masculine in my opinion uh, as 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 Jaraclo did (laughs) or does oh oh I love that that's wonderful what I also think about is the fact that so, you know, the the main sets of two triangles, one pointing up and one pointing down, that is your six-pointed star mm-hmm. uh, in air and fire, um, as Louise just said. But then the elements of earth and water are also represented in a very particular way, namely that each of them only have one planet there. So when you get that situation in any chart... In other words, where the, the whole field, as it were, of one of the elements is represented by only one planet, mm-hmm. then that planet comes under enormous pressure, almost like the entire field of, in this case, Earth and also water, is only represented by one planet. So then it becomes magnified in that person's chart and life. Any of well, you who've yeah, got yeah. that, try it out and see. It's really interesting. Well, it's my moon. It's my only air planet. So. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Oh. And, you know, and it's just very magnified. Yeah, for, for the listeners. And, and Louise and I have our moons conjunct each other. Mm-hmm. In the sign of the twins, wouldn't you know it? So <laughs> here we are. So two of us. Yeah. Finally meeting and this meeting of the minds. And, 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 can, and I, not, can I just complete yeah. my thought? I'm, I'm totally doing yeah. Gemini, jumping all over at the moment. I want to just um, complete that thought about the earth and water. Mm. And so, you know, the, the power of water and earth, as indicated by this situation of them being a singleton, that's the 
the word often used. Mm-hmm. And so when I was thinking about that, you know, it's like the water, it's Neptune in Capricorn. And so that's like, uh, no, oh, sorry, got it, got it the wrong way around. It's um, yes. Chiron in Scorpio. Can that be right? Yes, that's right. Yes, Chiron, Chiron was in Scorpio. Yeah. And Neptune in Capricorn. Yeah. Right. Yep, that's right. And yeah. and, and Neptune is in Capricorn at 28 degrees, um, which is... Wow. Where, which is basically where Pluto is right now. Pluto and, is at the moment. And, and where the USA's Pluto is. <laughs> oh, <laughs> to go back to go back to all that um, I'm, I'm you know I don't want to hold get into the whole USA chart but it is being majorly activated by all of this yeah, no, and, and I had I hadn't noticed the Neptune in Capricorn being in the chart wow. before wow yeah so I thought well, <laughs> you know, with the earth and water being in the condition that they are in Sherry Clay's chart I thought well then it's Chiron in Scorpio is the healing waters, mm-hmm. the waters of transformation. And yeah. then the Neptune in Capricorn, it's, it's like the sacred earth. Mm-hmm. And just it thinking is. of that elementally with what is going on elementally on the earth today, that's very, very poignant. It is. It's quite amazing. And, you know, I'm not going to share the chart right now, but you've seen it loads, you know, to the the amount of um, energy in Aquarius in that chart. And we are moving into the age of Aquarius now, no matter, you know, no matter when people think it started or I think it I think it's a process. Personally, we've been moving into it for a long time. Um, so the the discovery chart of Cheriklo has the Sun, Mercury, Venus, Jupiter, Uranus, and Ceres, and and Vesta. Actually, if we want to include the asteroids, all in wow. Aquarius. So, <laughs> and, and yes, a few hours actually, a few hours after her discovery date and time, uh, there was a conjunction of Jupiter and Uranus. Yeah, um, in yeah. Aquarius, and you know it. it whatever sign that conjunction occurs in which occurs roughly every 12 to 13 years but it's a big it's a big energy Mm -hmm. uh, conjunction it really is and it was on it was within a few hours on the same day yeah in the chart they're only 11 solar art minutes apart so yes it would have been just just later that day and all this is at five degrees, pretty much five plus, as you say, and five in numerology is the real number of change. It's um, she's she's a big harbinger of change, but she's holding space for us to. Um, yeah, um, absolutely. That that's how I, that's how I feel. Yeah, amazing. So you know, just at a if you've got a few more minutes, just at a more mundane level for the listeners. Um, First of all, I would invite people to look back if they can remember, if they've maybe got emails or diaries or something. Think where you were when she was discovered, um, middle of February 97. And I think some people might be astounded by that. I was. Mm -hmm. But But also, you know, how could people work with her personally, do you think? 
Um, well, I I think that um, uh, you know spiritual activities that help that help to generate a strong connection with qualities like silence, mm -hmm. even invisibility. Now, this is a very interesting one because in some ways it is like a polarity to the whole endeavor of the women's movement right from the suffragettes onwards. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. In other words, a, a real struggle, a necessary struggle to get visibility, pay equality, Mm -hmm. uh, and equity in so many other ways and so forth and all of that was of course hugely important mm -hmm. and world-changing in so many ways you know and that is not the only uh, quality that can be represented by the feminine that is really really important and so you know some of the some of the professions associated with Chariklo or the quality of being a midwife, a doula, mm -hmm. were traditionally um, done by women. Mm -hmm. and that's not to say at all that men can't do those things because today more and more men are indeed doing those things. And, and similarly, her husband was a medicine man. An herbalist, yes. an herbalist, yes. and and you know many women were the herbalists, the medicine women in in society. So again, this is not a gender thing, as you say. It's no, more about no, totally, totally not. Yeah. But it does represent qualities, and you know, in a way, mm -hmm. for, for for want of another way of doing it, visually or in yes. figures, it has to be male and female. But of course, yes. it's way more than that. But mm. to me, I'm very, very interested in this quality of invisibility, silence, mm. and a kind of silent witness yeah. uh, or um, a silent presence or holding the space. And I, I actually feel that um, this is absolutely something which Shariklo brings to the table. Mm -hmm. at the moment so this is the the power of silence which can't be faked and i'm sure probably most of you watching listening you know people who by their presence can just calm everything yeah. down whereas you know necessarily as you say the women's movement and and the fight for equality and things has actually been quite masculine in its approach it's like you know i want to be out there i want to be out in, in the men's world and equally yeah, and, there. and to, to fight the yeah. fight and to go yeah. into the conflict and yeah. you know that's all so important mm -hmm. there is this whole other side yeah which in some ways without wanting to put a value judgment on it's equally important yeah also it's about that perfect balance again exactly well. and so obviously not everybody is an extrovert and a warrior type in the obvious way mm -hmm. 
but there's a kind of internal silent warriorship that can go on invisibly and quietly and without necessarily a word being spoken. It's about how you hold yourself in your own space and in this space that we call the world and so forth. And that's something profoundly nourishment uh, nourishing mm -hmm. as a, as a as a ground to stand on that arises from the silence mm -hmm. and doesn't act reactively which is not a bad thing but this is just another thing. order of acting yes. <laughs> so it's not that you have to figure out what to do and then mount a campaign mm -hmm. It's that the action arises out of the ground of spaciousness and silence kind of thing. And I know, I know for myself, I mean, there, there are days when, you know, to me, I listen to the radio and every time I turn it on, there's a horror story of some kind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, there's like, there's like nowhere to hide in a way because we are living in a world in which there are many disasters and much folly mm -hmm. and we can't single-handedly like fix it all and certainly there's there's a part of all of us who doesn't like it that it is that way we can't fix it all and mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that therefore the only option is to collapse into a feeling of complete helplessness and powerlessness although at a certain level it is true, we can't fix it all, just ourselves. And, and having the, the trust to be able to feel that helplessness mm -hmm. in an honest enough way to give space to whatever might arise next. Yeah. Whatever you're being called by life itself to enact or to offer or to follow, these are times when there's a lot of energy in that kind of a process because in a way, well, we've, we've just been through a long period when many, many of our options were really narrowed. Yeah. And that, ain't, yeah. that really ain't, that ain't over yet, you know? No, it's not. No. So that's why I, that's why I think she's so important. Me and too. I, I know, I know, I think we've spoken about this before, or maybe you saw a video or so, um, and I have mentioned this before, but just a few years ago, it was in 2017, um, I did do a very extraordinary session with, with a client um, in that it, it was truly as if Shariklo kind of appeared, as it were, in the session. So I didn't see her. Mm -hmm. um, and there was, in fact, a very relevant transit, which I hadn't picked up because I hadn't included Chariklo in this, in this person's chart. But the kind of flash came when I suddenly realized this person was actually living the story of Chariklo in her life. Oh, I've heard you tell it, yeah. Yes. But, you know, for anybody who hasn't heard it before. <laughs> yes. Yeah, her, her husband was... Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. uh, that story is written up in in detail um, uh, in in the book that Louise mentioned, mm -hmm. which will be out ho hopefully at some point this year. It's my contribution in the book, 
is on Charitlow. And there's also another lady, Shelley Enteen. Who, who I've also about... interviewed. Yeah. Uh-huh, she's a, okay. So yeah, she's, she's a friend. About Charitlow. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, so th- in that point of time, you know, when I quickly, you know, found where Sherry Clow was in this client's chart, and then we discussed some of that. She said, well, where is it now? Oh, I don't know. And I look it up. <laughs> wow. So it was just beginning to, to go over both her ascendant and her husband's ascendant. Wow. Along with Pluto. Wow. And it was, of course, going to be accompanying Saturn and Pluto in the course of their conjunction. So during 2020, Pluto was conjunct Characlo three times. At the end of that year came the the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction. And then at the beginning of the following year, Charicla was conjunct Saturn. Yeah. One time exact, but within a very close orb of conjunct the whole way through. Mm. And, you know, um, in in traditional astrology, there is a process called by the wonderful name of translating the light. Yes. And that happens when one planet sort of in degree terms moves past two others so makes an aspect with planet one and then moves on to an aspect with planet two and so that's said that this the third planet translates the light from one planet to another the other oh i'm going to go and look at all of that when we're finished <laughs> well I, 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 I was thinking of that for a long time ahead of the mm. Saturday. i thought it was a this is going to be a transformation, Pluto, yeah. for real. Yeah. Because Sharaclo translates the light from Pluto to Saturn. Yeah. And so this is a transformation. It's, it's not only on an abstract level. Yeah. It's for real, as in, you know, earthly, physical things. Definitely. Changing, and, we'll have to change and, more. And, and Capricorn is generally associated with the patriarchy too, which is, you know, definitely, you know, I don't think we're returning to a matriarchy, but I think we are going to shift from this yes, I, I two suppose, ages worth of, yeah. Um, I tend to think of Capricorn as a sign, well, obviously it's ruled by Saturn, but mm-hmm. I, I think of it as referring referring to the authority structure, the power structure. Yeah. And obviously that could be a patriarchy. It could also be a matriarchy. But ultimately it's, yeah. it's the way the power is held. So that's completely transforming. Yeah. And it has been a patriarchy. So, yeah, you're right. It's, it's, yes. the, stru- yes. it's the structures. It could have been either way. And now we're moving to an Aquarian one, which is hopefully going to bring in kind of, a mix of both. <laughs> well, and also the um, the capacity for groups of people to speak up, yeah, make their voices heard, to be counted, uh, to stand up and be counted, basically. Yeah, yeah. And even you know, we 
the whole relatively new process of crowdfunding mm-hmm. has made possible a lot of really good things. It really has. And really, if yeah, we look I, at if we look at where technology is going and things, we have the capacity to. And, and I know it's been mentioned in political circles, and I'm not being political here, but really we have the capacity to all be able to vote on every issue instead of electing yeah. a hi- hierarchical leader. To <laughs> exactly, to, to kind of vote for us or, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. so whether that'll happen or not in our lifetimes, I don't know, because we're the same thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, we, we don't know, do we? No. Oh, well, Melanie, this has been a real pleasure speaking to you. I've really um, enjoyed it, Louise. It's just oh. been great. I have the feeling we could get, we could brainstorm, brainstorm for another few hours, you know. It's I think really I think we could. And I think we might do it again at some point, if that's all oh, right with you. Great. <laughs> yeah, maybe, and maybe explore some of the other centres too. But I am going to put the link to, um, to the uh, publisher of this upcoming book in the show notes. If you enter your email, um, into that um, website you will get an email when the book is published I'm so excited about this book I think it's it's much needed because you've written you know a fair amount about these um, these wonderful wild creatures but um, I think they're speaking to us more and more each day so I, I yeah. think so yeah 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 and I um I think it is the new Copernican revolution, indeed, as you said. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, let's see what it brings. So anyway, thank you again for being here. Well, thank you, Louise. Thanks.